Welcome. This is the Real Estate Investing Mastery Podcast. Hey, this is Joe McCall, and I'm with Alex Youngblood, and this is the what podcast, Alex? Uh, I believe it's the Real Estate Investing Mastery Podcast. <laughs> the one and only. That's the one right. and only. That's right. Uh, I'm glad you guys are here. Glad I'm glad you're here, Alex. I'm glad you're here, Joe. Awesome, man. What's been going on in Alex's world? In Alex's world, let's see. We'll get, well, getting through all my different projects. Um, I actually went on an appointment today myself, if you can believe that, wow. <laughs> on a deal today where... This woman's dog just jumped all over me, scratched up my chest. A big, big old pit bull dug his nails into me. I, was, I was he like, was what? he was he playing or was he aggressive? He was friendly. He was friendly. He wasn't he wasn't trying to kill me or anything. But you know how dogs can do that sometimes. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, but if I get the house, it'll be great because uh, you'll have the scars to show it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. If I buy it, I'm thinking I'll be able to get it for about one thirty, and it's worth about. 285 fixed up so Excellent. i could probably wholesale it for 20 25,000 or i could buy it clean it up and put it back out and make some more so it just depends on how much i want to make i guess when you wholesale deals what we mean by wholesale is you just kind of clean it up a little bit and then stick it back on the mls um, yes how much work do you do to get it cleaned up it depends but the ideal house you just want to do get the trash out of it clean it up so that it doesn't look like uh, it's dirty. Yeah. And uh, that's mainly what you want to do. I mean, you might get stuck with having to fix um, like an HVAC or something like that, but usually that'll come up on the home inspection, and by that time you've already got it sold. So if it has dirty carpet, do you clean the carpet or do you tear the carpet out? Well, it depends if there's hardwoods underneath. So there are houses where I've torn the carpet out, and I'm like, "Wow, look at this carpet with this floor. It looks awesome." Yeah. You know? Yeah. And 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 you're good with that. Now this house though smelled like dog. So smelling like dog, you gotta you're gonna probably have to take those carpets out, and then you might have to go back and put new carpet, or you're gonna have to go in and put new flooring potentially. So again, it all depends. What if the uh, walls are really trash? Do you repaint the walls if you just want to do the minimal amount of work as possible? Yeah, the minimum amount of work as possible. I mean, if you were to go in and do new paint and carpet, like literally a paint and carpet house, that would still qualify, I think, as a whole tale. Or it might even be venturing towards what you would call a prehab. Okay. It's funny, you know, we're talking about this wholetailing, and we're interviewing a guest today, David Alexander, and I met David Alexander long, long time ago, many moons ago, from a forum mm -hmm. called Flipping Homes, and there was a guy on that forum, uh, his name is Nate Andre. Do you remember Nate, David? I do, I do. <laughs> and he was, doing, <laughs> he was doing this long time ago. This must have been way back in 10, 12 years ago, Nate was doing these kinds of deals. Just wholetailing them, and yeah. Uh, yeah, that's crazy. It's you know, yeah. there's nothing new under the sun. No. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I got a crazy thing for y'all. It's like 
actually, a friend of mine coined that term, that hoteling term. Oh, really? He did? Years, Who was that? Years ago. And you sound like him, Alec. Your, your, your voice sounds a lot like him. You all have the same accent. Uh, Joe Kaiser. I've heard oh, of that Joe name. Oh, Joe Kaiser. Joe Kaiser. He, he's the one. He wrote that up in a, in a book probably 15, maybe almost 20 years ago. <clears throat> and, um, and, I get, and, and back then, the term didn't catch on. And um, and it's funny to hear it now. It's just like it's a normal, normal everyday thing. But um, yeah, <laughs> it like can that. be. It can be. Yeah, that's yeah, cool. Like I, the same thing here. Anytime I come across a house like what you're talking about, if it's got dog or cat smell in it with carpets, the carpets are gone. And I don't care. I don't care if there's hardwood floors. I'll I'll take it back down. Like in in Texas, we have more slabs. Slab yeah. foundations. We do have we have pure and bean, but we have a lot of slabs. And so I'll take the carpets out and just leave no carpet. Really? So I sell them. Now that's going to yeah. stop you from being able to sell to a financed buyer, though, at that point. Well, I, but I do my own financing. So 98% of the time, I do my ah, own financing. Ah, interesting. <laughs> so, and, okay. and this is. So you don't care. Right, right. And this, I is why I, this is why I wanted David on the show, because he's doing some really cool things. Um, and he's been doing them for a super long time. And he's still in the business, yeah. still making a killing. And uh, yeah. so. You guys heard David. Welcome, David, to the show. How are you, man? I'm doing good, man. I'm doing good. No complaints. No complaints at all. Um, wow. I've, I've, like I said, I've been doing it a long time. I've been in it since 1997. 1997. Wow. And in Texas the whole time? In Texas the whole time. I mean, I still I do some deals with students across the nation, but, yeah, mostly in Texas. Mostly, mostly just right here in my backyard. Um, awesome. Okay. Uh, Where yeah. is your backyard? What part of Texas? Um, just south of Dallas, a little bit, a little town called Midlothian's where I live, um, oh, but it's down yeah. in the Ellis County area. And, uh, and so I, I do most of my deals right there in that area. And then, you know, and lately here, I've been, been branching out just, just to pick up some more stuff, um, a little bit all, all over Dallas. And, but, uh, but then mostly I try to, I try to stay, you know, if, if I'm, if I have a partner, I'll do something a ways away from me. But if I'm, if it's me, I don't want to drive more than 15 or 20 minutes. Yeah. It's kind of a kind of a rule of thumb. Well, a lot of you guys know David's website, banditsigns.com. You uh, you created that website how long ago, Alex? I mean, David. In 2000. 2000. 2000. Yep. And, and if uh, you were to sell that domain alone today, how much do you think you could sell it for? Yeah. Man, I, you know, I don't know. I was offered, um, back in 2008, I was offered a million dollars and I turned it down. No way. That's amazing. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and um, I turned it down back then. I, I um, you know, you you look back and you think, well, maybe maybe I should have took it, maybe I didn't. But it's now just that was the buy business or just the site or just that the was domain. the that was that was that was the business too. That was the business. Oh, okay, too. okay, all right. Yeah, that, that was that the business sense. too. And I was holding out for one point four at the time, <laughs> and um, and I didn't end up selling, and uh, and so uh, and then well, long story short, I actually did. My mother wanted to retire. I had left the, the, the helm of the business not long after that, probably like in 2010-ish or so, 9-ish. And my mom was running it. And um, they were running it for a while. And then she decided she wanted to retire. So we actually ended up did, we sold it with financing. And then we got it back uh, several months ago, just, just this year. And so now we're kind of revamping it and getting everything built back up and, and going after it big, hard and heavy again. So, and we, you know, we went all, we used to be screen printers and now we went all digital. So now like, you know, our sign turnaround time is, it's going to start hitting, you know, the 24 hour mark in most instances. So, 
What do you mean by that? I I missed that, David. What do you mean by that 24-hour mark? Well, we we used to turn around, you know, it used to be five to ten days in turnaround time. Oh, okay. okay. And now because because we're all digital, we'll turn most orders around in 24, 24, maybe 48 hours, you know, depending on when they come in. But uh, because we're just, we're all digital. Literally, it's like a, we have giant digital printers, which means like, think of that ink jet on your, on your, uh, on your desk. Well, uh, where it prints paper. Well, now we have a giant ink jet that prints signs. And so instead of screen printing them, which was a process, a labor, labor intensive process where, you know, it was horrible for us. Um, well, now we, we can sit here and just print signs and print signs, and print signs and print signs. That's and amazing. Just, you know, is, yeah. If you don't mind me asking, is it a profitable business for you? Are you doing well with it? it yeah, it's, it's a profitable business. What it is, is, um, it's the profit margins aren't huge. I mean, our profit margins are about eight percent, so they're not really particularly huge. Um, the um, the actual the cost to do digital is actually a little more than screen printing, but it's a cleaner business. Hmm. But once you build it up and get it going, the thing is, is that some businesses are easier to systemize than others. Yeah. And this particular business is a very easy to systemize business. It doesn't, you know, it doesn't it doesn't involve my time. Like when I had it built up in its heyday. I had 24 employees that if I were to walk on site, they would get pissed off and say, hey, get out of here. <laughs> you, know, you had 24 had employees? Wow. Yeah. Yeah, I had 24 employees for, for band science. And, um, <clears throat> and now we're down to we, – we've got one, two, three, four, five. So, so we don't but, – but we can upscale from here and do the same volume that we had back then, and we would, we would probably have maybe eight employees. Wow, so, that's amazing. All right. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, David, I met you a long time ago through vir- virtually. Um, you were really active yep. in flippinghomes.com. You remember that site? <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Did uh, Alex, yeah, were you ever sure. on that site, Alex? Yeah. That was the uh, Bigger Pockets back in the day, before Bigger Pockets was around. Yep. Yep. And yep. uh, it's not really doing anything right now. I don't think. I haven't been there in a long, long time. But uh, it was a great site. It's been yeah. I'm still friends with some of the people that I met from uh, FlippingHomes.com. And uh, uh, is, is, um, is what's-his-name still around, the one you were talking about? Um, uh, Steve uh, Cook? No, well, no Nate, I know Steve Cook. I, Nate. Nate. Nate, yeah. yeah. Yeah, he's always on Facebook giving me a hard time about something. <laughs> he was always yeah he was always giving me a hard time he's saying, a, oh, you can't do that you he's a rabble i can't do <laughs> yeah he's a rabble yeah. rouser he's a rabble rabble <laughs> rouser i posted something on facebook today would um alabama beat the alabama tide would they beat the cleveland browns in a football game <laughs> <laughs> yeah you want to talk about stirring up the pot you know uh but that was it was funny. I got a lot of funny responses from that. People going back and forth and Nate was one of them. <laughs> but uh so cool David, you um you're an investor primarily. Yep. And you yep. use a lot of bandit signs in your business. We'll be talking about that in a minute. I, in yep. fact, that's pretty much all your leads come from bandit signs, don't they? They do. They come from bandit signs. They come from, you know, other people, referrals or whatever. Uh-huh. Um I don't I don't advocate exactly. I mean, I, I you should. You should I, I mean, I'm a healthy person. You should use bandit signs, but not bandit signs aren't for everybody. They're they're more for the rebel person, if you will. Yeah, <laughs> they're for that person that 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 is a rebel and they they want to get it done and and just make it happen. Um, 
but they're not, they're not for everybody. You know, there's some those people out there where they're like, uh, you know, I don't want to, it's against the law and yeah, so speeding, you know, but so it, it just, it's, <laughs> right. it's just amazing. You know, Cause most cities have ordinances against them. You know, they, you know, cities even have ordinance against having car magnetics on your car. Are you serious? Really? Yeah. Yeah. 90% of you read their ordinances, they have an ordinance against having car magnetics on your car. You can't, oh, you also can't have a sign in your own yard, in your own front yard. Yeah, that's that's annoying. If it doesn't meet certain standards, right? No, no, no most yeah, of them you, have ordinances, and then it, they just don't enforce them. Ex- so it's a matter of what they enforce and who, who you know, which things they enforce. Which that is true. So that's kind of like a city specific kind of thing. But you can have yeah, politician yeah. signs. Thank God the election's yeah. over, by the way. But yeah, you can. It's against yeah. the law to take down a politician's sign. Is it really? Yes. But it's against the law to put up your own sign for selling a house. Yep. Uh, Silly politicians. It makes me want to just, you know, give them a big old hug. I just want to give all politicians a big old hug. And a a knee in the, uh, you know what. (laughs) But anyway. So... um, yeah, I get it. That totally makes sense, David. I mean, there's a lot of people out there, even in podcasting world, that I've heard him talk about bandit signs. And man, they they think you're the scum of the earth if you ever wanted, if you ever tried to do bandit signs. And I just, I don't like that. <laughs> I don't like that attitude yeah. either. Um, but they work, plain and simple. You know, we we interviewed a guy, Gregory Hodges. Do you remember this, Alex? He talked yeah. about. Yeah, and, uh, he was just getting started. His he was broke. He was sick and tired of being broke. He was mad, and uh, he knew bandit signs were illegal. But he said, "F it, I'm not. I don't care. I'm going to do a thousand of them every day. If they throw me in jail, f it." He, so uh, he huh. just. Do you remember that? And he just did yeah. a, a ton of yeah. them, and um, started doing a bunch of deals. And uh, that's his philosophy. You know, it's just f it. <laughs> yeah, well, I got a. We had one guy. I had one guy one year. He was buying a bunch of bandit signs from. He was putting out about, he was putting out about five hundred a week. Hmm. I put out a hundred. I put out a hundred a week, but he was putting out about five hundred a week, and wow. just rain or shine. I mean, he was just hammering it, hammering it, hammering it, hammering it. And um, and they he, he actually he actually got fined. They actually they fined him, and it, they fined him like two hundred fifty bucks. Wow. And so it. then he he wrote, he wrote a check, a second check to him. He sent it to him. He said. Here's 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 another two hundred fifty to pay for the next time. Uh, <laughs> wow. I'll just save you some. I'll save you some headache. Yeah, he, he had to change his phone number. <laughs> oh man, they kind of cracked down on him a little bit. But well, um, you know, I I do bandit signs today for houses that we're selling on lease options, and uh, we'll put them okay. up on Friday night, take them down on Sunday night, and uh, I don't do it myself, but. Man, I'm telling you, nothing works better than signs when, it, especially when it comes to selling houses. Yeah, I've got a, I've got a system. So I'll, I'll, if we got time, I'll talk about it. But I got a simple system for selling houses that I've been using since 2003. And it'll work for rent to own, owner finance, retail, any of it, and it'll sell houses. Every house I ever have moves typically in about 10 to 14 days. Most of them less than 10. And every, you know, every now and you're going to get that. Don't get me wrong, you're going to get that sticker house that, for whatever reason. You bought it, and it's going to sit there for 30 or 60 days, but most of them are going to move. Yeah. The vast majority, 90, 95% of them are going to move in about 10 to 14 days. Now, is that because you're, you're, you're selling them on special financing terms, or is it just because? Term, the terms help, but 
I, I kind of figured out a couple little secrets to it. Um, well, please share like, them. Okay. All right. Well, like, like the one of the things is is you want to sound like a motivated seller. So I always put must sell on my signs. Two words, must sell. Um, instead, that's the two best words I've found. In fact, a lot of people are using those two words now. I started that back in 2003. And mine say owner financing must sell no banks. But even if you're retailing a house, you can just say, you know, for sale, must sell. And then um, the next step is, is that you, you put signs out. And most people violate this, and uh, realtors definitely violate it. But they, you put signs out, and you put what I call perimeter signs out. And so you're going to put about anywhere on the, on the low, unless it's just a really, really small community, like a 1,000 or less. But typical community, let's say it's at least 10,000 or more. You're going to put anywhere from 25 to 50 signs out a weekend to market a house. And they're called perimeter signs. And what I mean by that is they're going to be a sign, and they go to a voicemail. So if it's a retail deal, it'll be a retail deal to drive traffic to that house. And so you got to do it in steps and you'll have a voicemail on that sign and you'll have a reason for them to call. So the sign needs to say something like, like um, if I'm doing a retail deal, then I'm typically me, I'm typically going to price it under market just a hair, but I'm going to put that right on sign. That has to be a lot under market, but it can be 3000 below market or 5,000 below market must sell. You want to sound motivated. Mm -hmm. So you put that on your sign. Um, and then you put something else on the sign. One key feature of the house is what I've learned is realtors, um, they'll list like, you know, they'll tell you about everything, you know, they'll tell you about the, the rose bushes in the back and the, you know, the peach tree down the road and, and, and none of that stuff. None of that stuff. They'll find the one thing about that house. It has a huge backyard, giant kitchen, you know, uh, hot, you know, master bathroom to die for whatever, but find the one thing about the house. Um, and put that on the front of your sign, you know, along with three bedroom, one bath or four bedroom, two bath or whatever. Yeah. Executive suite. I've done that before. So you, you put that on your sign so you can get them to call. Cause the first thing is, is you're trying to get as many calls, cast a wide net when you're marketing, put those signs out. I put them in Walmarts. Walmarts are probably where everybody goes nowadays. And, um, I put them all over the Walmarts, put them all over busy intersections of 25 to 40 of the printer signs out with a voicemail. It's a dead end voicemail. I do not answer that voicemail. I don't return calls from that voicemail. I don't return texts on that voicemail. In fact, <clears throat> I have an autoresponder. They actually text to that voicemail number. It says, sorry, I don't check texts on this. Go to the house. Because I'm trying to get them to the house. Nobody's going to buy a house without going to a house. Yeah. So the voicemail is basically a sales message that sends them to the house. So once they get to the house, once they get to the house, then um, – they will then, um, from there, you have your marketing at the house, whatever it is. And you have a live phone number at the house and at the house only. And then once they're at the house, you get them inside the house because nobody's going to buy a house that they haven't seen. Yeah. And, and I do something different than most people. Um, I, this is crazy, but I, the first thing I do is I open all the blinds. You know, realtors leave the blinds shut. I open all the blinds of the house. Nobody's going to buy a house they haven't seen. People come by, you got your for sale signs or thing on it. The other thing I do is I, instead of using a lockbox, I just leave the back door unlocked. And somebody will come by the house and they'll say, hey, I'm, I'm here. I say, I'll just turn around when they call me. I'll say, yeah, you in front of the house? I'll say, yeah. And I'll say, uh, well, um, uh, you know what? The back door's unlocked. I've got somebody coming over to take a look at the house or my cleaning crew's coming, supposed to come back by there. So just run in there and take a look at it. If you like it, call me right back. Okay. And I've been doing that since 2003. And a lot of people aren't comfortable with it, but... 
my argument is is that you put a lockbox on a house and spend all your time explaining to them how to get how to open damn lockbox. Or worse, if 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 somebody's really going to break into your house, they're going to break into it anyway. I mean, that's just the way that is. And I've never had anything stolen or done. And that this has worked in four hundred thousand uh, dollar houses is and, and down to forty thousand dollar houses. Right. And I just that's what since two thousand three I've used the same system. Drive traffic, get them to the house, get them inside the house. And after that, talk to them about the house and when they're serious about it. And I'll typically drive somewhere during the week. It's going to be mm, at the house. It's going to be five to fifteen people a day at the house during the week on the weekends. Oh yeah. That number is going to go from 30 on up to 75 a day to the house. And, um, so let's face it. The bottom line is, is that you can do one of two things. If you're buying a house, you're either going to, if you don't spend the money on marketing and getting them there, then you're either going to eat it in the long run on other costs, or you can get all the traffic there as fast as you can, where everybody in, in your community knows about that house. Yeah. And, and, once I figured that out, then from there, it's like, okay, uh, you know, I, I'm going to drive as much traffic. I treat each house like it's a, it's a, it's a little separate business. And so, and I, like I said, I, that, that little system has been unchanged since 2003. So, Well, signs work, and I love that strategy. I remember we were talking about that in Ohio the other day when we were there. Yeah. I, I met you there in Cincinnati. And, um, yep. Yeah, that's killer. I, I I used to do something real similar when I was doing um, a lot of lease options and subject twos um, back in the in the day. The yep. let's talk about. I want to talk about two things mainly with you, David. And okay. if if we need more time, we'll break this up into a couple podcasts. But I want to talk okay. about marketing for sellers, marketing for deals, okay. and I, I love your approach to owner financing, buying homes, subject to. Um, but you don't even like that term. You've, 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 uh, yeah. call, you call it something else. Um, it's, yeah, so I call it sub three, a little bit of a joke. Yeah. Right. Yep. Sub three. But, uh, let's, let's talk about marketing first. What are some of your favorite right. ways to find deals right now? Well, I mean, my number one, of course, is bandit signs. I mean, that's, that, that's, that's my number one tried and true and staple way. I mean, I just, I just hammer it with bandit signs. Um, but the, to me, Marketing is not just about um, the method used. I think there's plenty of methods, and we'll go over some of those. And give me give me about two minutes, and we'll go over some of those. But I think marketing is actually more about something else. It's more about a couple of mindset things. Mm-hmm. At least it's what I found in my students. Um, the first deal is that they have to realize that their first investment in their business um, is going to be marketing. And as a, like when I first got started in the business in in real estate, when I first actually came back from my first seminar and I'm like, okay, I'm going to do this. This is, this is it. And I was like everybody else broke getting started trying to, and I was just, I was, I was like, your, your guy talking about said, F it, you know, yeah. well, except I took the other route. I went driving for dollars. You know, I'm, I'm out there driving for dollars and driving around and I'm calling on ads back then we had the newspaper still. And I'm really trying to, uh, to make something happen because, you know, I, I want to be in control. But what I learned is that number one that the position was wrong whenever I was calling them. You have to be a really you know a really good salesman to to chase down deals. Um, and so that from that standpoint of view, whenever I did I did I was like I, I spent probably about six months doing that, um, and I didn't get anywhere. In fact, I, I sat at one point I sat with this little lady on her porch. She told me she wanted me to sell her she'd sell me her house, 
and I sat with her on her porch for three days straight. She just wanted a friend. I, I thought she was going to sell me her house, and I kept, you know, thinking, well, she's going to get motivated. At, you know, I'm going to wear her down. It's just not the case. You're either marketing, and you realize that marketing is your first investment. Well, that's when I, I, I remembered that I'd used bandit signs in previous businesses. Um, we had a spa at one time. Um, I had a postal mail shipping center at one time, and I'd use bandit signs for those. And I went, you know what? I'll throw out some bandit signs. So we started throwing out bandit signs, and all of a sudden, calls start coming in. And now the position is different. They're calling us to sell in their house. They're motivated. And, and, but the biggest takeaway from that was that you have to go ahead and put your money where your mouth is. You, you know, um, and I'll borrow this from one of my mentors earlier on. He, he, he told me, he goes, yeah, you've got to do some marketing. And whether that be you spend $100 on marketing or spend $200 on marketing, marketing's your first investment because it's the first place you're trying to get your ROI. It's an emotional transition. Most people want to, they want to do all the free stuff nowadays. You know, they, they want to do all the free internet stuff and all that stuff. And, and they want to play, it was what I call playing business. And you got to actually want to get to spend the money. And whatever it is that you're marketing, you got to spend the money and figure it out. So if it's $100, that's all you had to start with, then you spend $100. If it's $200, that's all you had to start with, then you spend $200. And maybe that's what you spend this week and you're out of money and you can't do any more marketing again until you save up some more money to buy some more marketing stuff. That may be the case. And one of my mentors, told me he goes well Dave here's the deal if you don't have $200 to spend on your marketing you need to go get you a damn job or do some work or do whatever it is you do that you're an expert in enough to get yourself $200 together to buy you some stuff to do marketing and whether that be direct mail or whatever it is you've got to make marketing your first investment in your business and so I took that to heart and once I realized that again we started doing you know 100 bandit signs a week just consistently um, and and that changed everything. You know, um, one of my best students, he, he back in, this is in 2005, he was actually putting out um, closer to 250 signs a week. And he did about $7 million uh, that year um, in real estate sales. Wow. Now, I figure, yeah, I figure his profit um, you know, him and I talked and we didn't get a great guess, but I figured his actual profit was somewhere around the, the 2.2 million range, but not a bad year. You no. know what I'm saying? He spent 30,000, he spent $30,000 in bandit signs that year buying and selling. Wow. So that's 30,000 to make two point. Yeah. Good return. You know, we were just, we were talking about uh, bandit signs to sell houses and, um, i I saw this, uh, bandit sign the other day on Google and, uh, okay. This is one of the best signs that I've ever seen. It's handwritten on yellow, and it says, Please help me, exclamation point. I need to sell my house, exclamation point. I'll take anything, <laughs> underlined, with a phone number. Please help me. I need to sell my house. I'll take anything. Do you think that's going to get some phone calls? <laughs> I love it. I love it. Uh, you might get the wrong phone calls with that. <laughs> Well, that, that well, I've, we've, I've put them. Yeah, I put them. Uh, let's see here. here. Here's some of the bandit signs I've done, um, and these are these are old ads that I stole them from, and I put them on bandit signs. But um, uh, let's see here. Vultures pick my bones. Oh, wow. I need to sell my house fast. Um, <laughs> Thieves of the night steal my house, and a phone number. Wow. Um, yeah, you know, and and those those actually get they get calls, you know. Um, and then, and then the other, like I said, but the, the biggest response I've gotten is um, when I put a, put a house out there, and I know it's low market, 
Um, you know, and if, you know, I know typically if I'm going to typically my typical scenario is if I'm going to sell something, um, way below market, it's going to be like, um, I'm not gonna be wholesale. I'm going to be owner financing still, but I'm probably going to be owner financing to a rehabber, okay. but not your rehabber like in our realm, in our realm, in my, my opinion, and I learned this in my very first business in my t-shirt business, I was what was called a contract printer. And what that meant was is people would go out there and they would sell the job. And they would sell the t-shirts for 15 bucks and they'd buy the shirts and the shirts were three bucks and they'd bring them to me to print them. And I'd print them for two bucks. So they were in the deal for $5, but they were selling for 15. They were making the lion's share of the profit. Okay. And, um, and, but so what would happen is I was the, the lowest guy. I was making $2 a shirt and I did that over and over and over, but I wasn't out there building a business. I wasn't out there, you know, I was just behind the scenes doing it and you can build a big contract business. Don't get me wrong. But it's a lot of work. You're working for the same amount of stuff. You could be making that extra $10, just doing a little more effort, little change, a little marketing or whatever. Right, right. So I realized that in the real estate business, I don't want to sell to the guys at my real estate club. You know, every now and then, don't get me wrong, I'll have a friend and I'll wholesale a deal. I've wholesaled maybe five deals, six deals in my entire career. And and those, a couple of them were to friends that said, hey, man, I want to get in the business. You know what, here, take this deal. You know, uh, I'll help you out. But for the most part, um, I, I go, I go as much close to retail as I can. And what I mean by that is like, I will sell a house to somebody that's maybe they're in the roofing business or maybe they're a contractor or maybe they got a, an auto shop, but they want to buy some rentals. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I'm going to sell to that guy because he's not going to value his time. He's going to look at it. He can work on that house on the weekends, make me my payments and treat as a rental. And he can put, he can buy the, the materials at Home Depot. Or maybe he's got some laying around or he's got a crew that he needs to keep busy if they're a roofing company. And so they, they can fix his rental property. So they don't value it the same way. So a typical deal where you would sell for, say, 60, 65 cents on the dollar, I'm going to sell for somewhere around 80, 85 cents on the dollar. Okay. And I'm going to finance it. And, and so I'm going to sell at higher end because they're just not going to they're not going to discount it. So. And that's what I do. That's what that's why I look at. It. I, I'm like, yeah. You need to buy on owner financing too, though, when you're doing that, right? No, not always. No, I buy no? for cash. No, no, I buy for cash. I buy for well, cash a lot. Okay. Okay. For instance, maybe uh, like let's say the house I just looked at today. Um, and if you bought it for 130 thousand cash, not everybody has 130 thousand dollars laying around. Uh, but the out sale, you know, the 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 ARV would be two eighty five. Um, I'd go retail every time on that. I wouldn't retail it, but I'd retail owner finance every time. So let me tell you how. And you would you buy how? cash. I buy cash, absolutely. Hundred thirty thousand. Lay it out there. Yes, sir. Absolutely. I'm not going to lay the cash I out. Do that as opposed to taking thirty thousand dollars, boom, cash wholesale it done. Okay. Well, let's go over that deal real quick. Good. So it's worth two eighty five. How much work? You said it only needs like paint and carpet. If I remember right? No, 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 no. It's it's okay. it's a smelly doghouse. Um, it's okay. you know you're going to need to replace the flooring because you got carpets that's that stink in there. If you were to paint it and carpet it, that would make it look better. The kitchen would probably be okay if you were to clean up the cabinets and and whatnot. Um, the roof wasn't leaking but it wasn't spectacular either. The windows aren't new, but they're, I don't think they're a problem. You know, if okay. you're going to 
detail it, you're going to fix all that stuff, obviously. All right, I, I, did, I did a deal just like, similar like that. So let me tell you how you do that deal. So here's what, here's what happens. What you do with that deal is you um, turn around, you market that deal with owner financing. It's what I would do. Like. I market that deal with owner financing. And um, I'm going to market it probably in the 265 range because it sounds to me like you're telling me it needs at least 20, 25,000 work. Is that about right? Um, may, I mean, if you were going to rehab the sucker, you're probably going to spend 40, 45. Okay. Okay. And, and, but that's, you're going to spend 40, 45 because you got to pay for the labor and everything else. Right. 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 Okay. Well, see, but who are you selling to the people you're selling to the new market that I'm telling you to go to, which is the retail crowd. They're not thinking about their labor. No, they don't put their labor in there. So, so I'm going to market that house a, a minimum of two forty nine nine. But probably more like two sixty five, two sixty four nine. Wow. And I'm going to market the crap out of it. I'm going to market the crap out of it, and I'm going to have buyers like crazy coming to me. And somebody's going to say, "Dave, I want that house." Well, you know, I need a reasonable down payment. What kind of down payment you come up with? And I'm going to have. Don't get me wrong. I'm going to have plenty of your people that have five thousand dollars. Of course. I'm going to have. You know, uh, of. I'm going to have. I'll have four hundred, four hundred to five hundred ha- calls to my perimeter uh, voicemail. I'll have probably mm, 150 to 200 to my to the house before I find a buyer. And out of those 150 to 200, there's only going to be somewhere in the neighborhood of five to 15 actual buyers for that house. And of those, those guys are going to have somewhere between 20 to 30,000 to put down. <laughs> and so okay. I'm going to. Yep. So I'm going to grab one of those guys, preferably one with at least 25,000, if not 30. Every now and you get lucky and you have somebody with 40 or 50. But most of the time, they're going to have 20 or 30. I'm going to grab one of those guys and we'll say 25 for right now. He's going to put 25,000 down. He's going to owe me $240,000. So I'm going to have a note payable to me for $240,000. Note payable to David Alexander or your company or thereof or whatever. And that note, that's like a check. And now... I can turn around and I can bring another party in that wants to buy part of my note. And that's a whole different course in of itself. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, but, but I can sell off, let, let's say in a, in a, in a span of a 30 year note. So I might sell off the first 10 years of that note. There's two ways to do it. I might sell off the first 10 years of that note. Okay. Right. And that leaves me 20 years on the back end of that note. So now I picked up more than I picked up basically the same amount you did wholesaling real quick. But I'm also going to double dip. And I'm also going to work to try to get the people to refinance me in the next three to five years. To get you out. And get my out. And then they, they pay off the underlying loan that I've done. The other way to structure that deal is, is, I put the the guy, the note person in, and I put them in for a longer term. Maybe I put them in for a 20-year term instead of a 10-year term. Because uh-huh. in, in the beginning, you're trying to build cash flow. So I put them in for a 20-year term. And now, let's say the payments to them are 1500 a month. The payments on the house are 2000 a month. And I have $500 a month cash flow. Right. And so I'm able to have cash flow during the interim while I'm working to get refi. And they're happy because they're getting a good return on their money too. So that's how I would do that deal. And these I, are private tools. This wouldn't be like a, a corporate note buying company or something. No, no corporate note buying companies. Nowadays, the way the note buying stuff is taught is 
so crazy. They're they're all bankers. Yeah, you know, I haven't I haven't pulled credit in in, uh, in two thousand and uh, in two thousand and one. I went through a a reckoning, if you will. I had all my contractor deeds coming back to me, and I had sold houses on two lower down payments. You know, three thousand here, twenty five hundred yeah. here, yeah, that kind of thing. And I just I had this revolving door. I had seventy three properties at the time, and wow. and all these houses were coming back. Every month I was getting a property back, so I couldn't even run my business anymore because I was getting too many back. You know, I'd, 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 I'd buy five, and then, but I was selling 10. You know what I'm saying? And it was just, wow. It's like, good God, this is crazy. And so that went on for a year and a half. Had a negative cash flow for, for those properties. For a year and a half, my average was about $12,000, $13,000. And um, finally, I just got mad one day. I said, I'm selling them all with owner financing, pure owner financing, note, deed of trust, everything. And I went out, and in a period of three weeks, I had about almost 50% of them sold. In a period of two months, I had them all sold except for a handful full of uh, Section 8 rentals I had left. I think it was about 12 or 13 of them. Um, and so I sold them all off with owner financing. I carried the notes back, and I, had, I still had um, – I only had a small positive cash flow. I said some properties that were negative and some properties that were positive, but it wasn't losing – the twelve, thirteen thousand a month anymore, and I was happy. But I, I, I tweaked it. I tweaked it to where people would cash me out sooner, and I, I made it to where the payments rise um, every year on them. So that way, I w- they would cash me out because I looked okay. back in my history, and in nineteen ninety nine, I'd done it on two properties, and they refinanced me. So I started doing that in all my deals. And it turns out that people will refinance you, pay you off, take that money, and you reinvest. And um, and so that's the that's the trick. You're, you're you, I mean, and but if you're working and you're just making that thirty thousand, that's a good deal. Don't get me wrong. That's nothing to sneeze about. Absolutely. But if but if you can do the same work and make the thirty thousand and make that back in payday too, now you don't have to work as hard. I mean, that hundred and thirty to a hundred to to that's one hundred thirty five thousand dollars. You know. The problem so I just, be, though for somebody coming into this is they don't have one hundred thirty five thousand dollars laying around, right? Well, I, I didn't either. I didn't either in the very beginning, and I did this thing called dialing for dollars. And I'm, I'm not a, I'm not a go raise all this private money thing before. I'm all about whenever you have a deal, whenever you have a deal, your motivation level to get it done goes way up. Yeah. I'll give you, in fact, I'll give, I'll give you a horror story about one deal and how I did it. And I don't recommend, but I'll give you a horse for about a minute, but, but your motivation goes way up when you have a deal. And so, so all of a sudden you sell this deal and you sign a contract with somebody for 265,000 and they're putting 30,000 down and they give you a $5,000 deposit. You're going to be very, you're going to be very motivated, motivated to solve your $130,000 problem. Oh, okay. So you're getting this buyer before you even buy it. Yeah. Okay. All yeah. Right. Yeah. Buy okay. before you sell every time. Yeah. Yeah. You now you have something to sell. You've got the buyer, and you have you have you you now you you got a commitment. You mean now you, mean, you got to go find. You mean sell it before you buy it. Yeah. Yeah. Sell it before you buy. It. Yeah. Yeah. But, oh yeah. Sell it before you buy. It. I said the other one. Yeah. Always sell it before you buy. It. And so it's hard to go broke that way. That's true. But you need that hundred thirty-five thousand dollars. <laughs> well, so, let me ask you a question. Yeah. Let me okay. Let me ask you a question. Okay, so let's so now you know you got thirty thousand on the front end, right? Let's just say, and and you got a two hundred sixty thousand dollar note. Let's say you couldn't you couldn't find anybody but, but except your shark infested people. Okay, yeah. 
Most all you can find are your sharks. You're owed two hundred and forty thousand dollars on this note. Right. Let me ask you a question. If you went to your local real estate club, how many people would write you a check for say, I don't know, one hundred eighty, hundred ninety thousand dollars for that note? And you're just done. I don't know because it's not a season note or anything. Doesn't they, matter. They're, they're in it. They're in it so low with a buyer that's putting thirty thousand dollars down. Right. That's Understand? true. That's true. They're in it so low. They're in it for somebody putting thirty thousand. Okay. What, it, what here? Oh, so you, season the note. You say, you know what? I'll tell you what. I need you to fund this uh, for a hundred and and eighty thousand dollars, but keep the first six months payments. Okay. Take it out. I'll right. guarantee the first six months. So now they only fund X amount, but you still they're, they're still owed the other. Right. And you, you, you write them a check for the difference out of your money until those six months are done, then they write you a check back. Okay. I mean, you can season your own note if you have to. You can sure. guarantee it for that time. But the point, the point is, because what you, worst, worst case scenario, you take it, you take it back and, and go do it again. Right. But the, right. The, but there's plenty of people out there that will that will just write you a check. Unless, okay, you said 130, maybe not 190 would write you a check. What if they wrote you a check for 165,000? We'll say. You can even say, hey, you know, do it for five years or whatever, and you work on getting the people to refinance during that time. And if they don't, then you got to fight another person. You know what I'm saying? Okay. All right. Depending on how you structure. But, right. but, but your what the point is is that now if they write you a hundred sixty five dollar check there and you got thirty thousand deal, you just doubled your wholesale profits. You did, yes. Now, what if you know what are you going to pay on that note to the investor? Uh, what what kind of yield? Yeah. Um. Depend on, depends on depends on where you're at. Like 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 locally, I've got a guy that that I pay eight percent, but he's got four million dollars liquid. You know what I'm saying? Okay. Um, but if I'm outside of my realm, I mean, sometimes I'll pay twelve percent, and I've I've paid hell back in the day. I paid eighteen percent. What is your I buyer? Didn't care. What is your buyer huh? paying you? Oh, my my buyer. I typically structure my owner finance deals. Um, they're at about anywhere. They're usually about. I usually start out seven point nine nine, but I have a rising interest rate, and it rises and it goes to eight point nine nine, nine point nine nine, ten point nine nine. Okay. Um, so that way the payments will go up, so that it slows down the bleed on my side. Okay. And it, it gets them where their payments are going to go up every year. Not a lot, not enough to like, you know, cause them to get foreclosed on, but their payments are typically going to go up. You know, anywhere from depending on how big the house is. In this size house, the payment would go up, you know, probably 150 bucks a, a year. Right. And so yeah. that, that little hundred, that nudge will get them, you say, you know, you send them a letter just before the payment's going to go out and say, hey, you know, you're fixing to have a payment increase and it's going to go up 150 a year. And right now, interest rates are still low. Why don't you call, and you should already have a mortgage broker, you know, why don't you call Tommy at so-and-so and, and uh, he says that he can probably get you hooked up. And they okay. call Tommy, and I have, and there's, you have to have a system for that too, by the way. You have to have a system for that, getting them to refi. And, and I'll give you a, a quick excerpt of that. You have to, when you're working with people to get them to refinance, you have to give them a step-by-step -step deal. And the trick to that is our gift cards, believe it or not. Gift cards? Huh. Little gift cards. $50 gift cards, Yep. And you're, you're, so you're investing in getting it refinanced. So you'll be, you'll over a period of two months, every little step that you need them to do, you'll say, you know what, if you'll fill out that, 
you know, that, that uh, mortgage broker application, I'll send you and your wife a gift card to, to Chili's. And they fill it out and get it back. If you just tell them to fill it out and get it back because they need to refi, they won't do it. Got to give them a carrot. Wow. That's the classic what's in it for me, right? <laughs> yep. Yep. And they'll, it's kind of weird. They, they won't do it to save $400 a month, but they'll do it for a $50 gift card. I, I don't get it, but that's, that's the truth. That is kind of funny. All right, David. Yeah. So oh. um, I got to be honest. I, I kind of got lost with the numbers. Okay. And I, okay. Okay. So let's, let's talk about these subject three things, deals that you okay. talk about. Okay. Um, you, okay. you talked about a lot of, uh, um, you talked about this a lot in the past. And um, when we were yeah. talking about it in Cincinnati, you broke it down into a real simple, easy to understand format for me that I loved. And that's why I wanted to okay. get you on the podcast to talk about that. So can we use, would it be better just to you explain what it is or should we do it like through a, an example deal? What would be better for you? Well, either way, whatever you think your listeners, whatever you think is, is best. I'm, I'm, I'm open. I'm good either way. All right. Let's do this as an example deal. And I'm going to write these numbers okay. down. And I encourage everybody listening to write these numbers down as well because that's going to help you follow along. This is a really important concept to, to understand. Um, so let's say this house, David, is worth um, about $120,000. let us just keep it simple, $100,000, okay? It's worth, okay. right. worth $100,000. The seller okay. owes eighty. Okay. okay. They owe eighty. There's not enough in there for you to get it under a contract and just wholesale it. There's not enough equity, right? Yep. Um, but the seller's motivated. They they yep. want out. It's worth a hundred. They owe eighty. And let's just say um, their payments on that house is six hundred dollars. Okay. Okay. Their okay. payments are six hundred dollars. This might be um, a good sub three deal. Am I right? Yes. Oh yeah, always. Okay, and by the way, it'll rent for a thousand. Let's just say it'll rent for a thousand. Okay. So I write. Okay. I wrote all those numbers down. Uh, the seller's motivated. What? How would you structure this deal? Okay. Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna sign a contract with the seller. What y'all call sub two? Okay. I have a few little clauses that that call that make it sub three. And let me I'll explain what sub three is. Yeah. In a nutshell, a simple version of it, real quick. So you understand the difference between sub two and sub three. Sub three can be applied to any kind of transaction. It can be applied to the note transaction that me and Alex were talking about earlier. It can be applied to a wrap. It can be applied to a short sale. It can be applied to anything. Sub three is my way. Originally, it was my way around seasoning. And it just so happens it gets around the SAFE Act as well with auto financing. But basically what happens with a sub three deal is – if you had a deal for sale, Joe, I would sign a contract with you to buy the house. And then I would turn around and sign a, uh, a, uh, a deal with Alex to sell the house to him. So I'd have two separate contracts. But then sub three, the way my deal is structured, I force you, Joe, to sell to Alex. And I'm out of the middle. But you're so happy with me, Joe, that, that I got you out of the house deal that you give me all the profit. And so what happens is Alex closes with you, but all the profit is then assigned to me. And so if it's an owner finance deal, that would be the down payment comes to me and it, the note would come to me, the security interest, the deed of trust would come to me, everything would come to me and I would profit 
from all of it. And right. you, the seller, would walk away with, with you're, you're just walking away with whatever we agreed. If I agreed to give you money, you'd get the money. If, if I agreed that you're just walking away, you'd walk away. The loan stays in place though, right? The loan stays in place in that particular deal. But it could have been a note deal like with um, how Alex had it. I could have done the same transaction with bringing in a note investor to buy my note. And I still could have forced you to sell to Alex for two hundred and you know, $65,000 and in you've already, you, you know, I'm going to get all the profit. And so that I could have already done that. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And so, but that, but it doesn't matter the type of transaction. It's just the way the transaction is carried out is what makes it sub three. Sub three just, just, it literally makes it to where I'm not in the middle of the transaction so that I'm always on the uh, seller side of the HUD. So I'm always going to get paid. So you're always on the seller's side of the HUD. Can you yep. can you explain that? What does that mean? Well, okay. If you put a if you put a fee, if you do an assignment fee, or you know, like if you're trying to do an assignment fee, they're they're, they're not going to pay. They they don't want to pay you a lot of times. They, you know, banks don't want to pay you. They don't want to pay the extra money. Yeah. But if you're on the seller side of the, the seller side of the HUD, where the seller has to pay for services or whatever, you're going to get paid. Right. And then you're not in the middle of the transaction that way. The bank never even does the bank even see the seller's HUD. No, no, no. Right. No, they don't. They don't. They don't. I mean, they don't care. They're, they're, they want to know what they're paying out. And they want to make sure nobody's getting paid extra. And that's always on the buyer side. So that's where the assignment fees and all that normally go. All right. So just so I'm clear, I'm the seller. You're the investor. Alex is the end buyer. Um, yep. You're getting the property under contract to buy. And you're also getting mm-hmm. the property under contract with the buyer. But yep. you're not buying the property and then selling the property. Nope. Um, I caused my I caused my uh my seller to sell to my buyer. So I you caused me, the seller, to sell it to Alex, the buyer, who's gonna live in yep. it. Alex is gonna live in it. Yep. And That's then right. on the seller's HUD, on the seller's side of, of the HUD. Um, I'm the, the me the seller is paying you whatever yep. the profit is that we agreed. And what what's so? Can you walk through this example then of a house that's worth a hundred? Okay. The seller owes eighty. What would you do there? Okay, so so in that example there, I would turn around and market the house for ninety nine nine, and uh, market the house for ninety nine nine, and then I find a buyer. Let's say that the buyer had ten thousand dollars down. So they have ten thousand dollars down. There's a ten thousand dollar down payment which is going to go in, you know, um, uh, hit pocket national bank, you know, um, that's my favorite, my favorite bank. Yeah. And, uh, so, so then there'll be an 80, a $90,000 note created. Okay. And we already have a $80,000 underlying note with, with $600 a month payments and the new $90,000 loan that we create that wraps around that loan in my, it would be a second mortgage. It's a wrap and it might have, let's say payments of $900 a month. So what would happen is the new buyer every month, I structure it to where they pay 900, 300 of it going to me and 600 of it going to the bank. And every month that happens on my equity spread. And in this case, it's $10,000. That's what's left. And where are you going to invest $10,000 and get $3,600 a year? It's a 36% return on your money, you know? So the, and, the, uh, the buyer is paying 900, Okay, mm-hmm. six hundred goes to bank. 
and yep. 300 goes to you. Yep. So even though you're not in the middle, how are you getting that $300 every month? Well, because the, that note, remember that, that note that was created, the, the buyer, I mean the seller, they assigned me all profits. That note was part of my profit. Okay. So that note is, that note is assigned to me, that $90,000 note that Alex signed to, to you know, because he's going to pay for the house. <clears throat> he now, uh, the seller says, okay, well, part of our agreement, and they, they assigned me that note. So are now you the, I own are, that note. Are you, who's the lender on the note? Uh, I'm not, they're the lender. The seller is the lender. Almost. The seller is the lender. But they've, they've assigned that note to you. Yep. Happens all the time. Looks just like a normal transaction. Well, if you, if you walk down here to your, your little bank and you go get a loan for a house, yeah. what's going to happen when you sign that closing paperwork about a week later, you're going to get a letter where they assigned it to, you know, Wells Fargo or bank of America. Because they're just in the in the fee business, they're not in the note holding business. Sure, you know. Let me and ask so you this, same thing. <clears throat> David. Yeah. Um, all right, so I do a lot of new construction houses, right? Okay. And my lenders are fairly short term lenders. You know, not nothing more than a year. Um, okay. Let's say I buy the land for fifty thousand, and it'll cost me one hundred twenty five to build the house. I'm in the house at one hundred seventy five. Okay. And my normal out sale is uh, two fifty, right? Okay. Okay. I pay two fifty, uh, or I um, they pay me two fifty. I give basically ten percent away to the realtors, right? Uh, yep. Closing costs. So from two fifty, I'm down to two twenty five, and I'm in at one seventy five, but I still got to pay interest on on the on the loan, so one eighty five. So I'm making maybe forty thousand dollars when it's all said and done, right? Yeah, yeah. You know, clean deal, it's nice and all that. But would you structure that with for more law, on the long term uh, with, uh, with a lender instead of the short term? Do you think it would be uh, a better play or you would – how would you do that? Um, in, in your case, I'd probably be doing something different. I mean, it, I mean, it depends on where the market's at. It, it depends on how fast you can build the houses. You know, like, you know, if – it takes it, 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 you, 45, almost mm, 60 days maybe to build, no, maybe 90 days to build a house. Yeah, yeah. So you're, so you, no matter what, you're going to be paying on that financing. Oh, so, yeah. Yeah, so like in your case, in your case, probably what I'd be doing, um, uh, I, I like long-term stuff because I like the cash flow. You know what I'm saying? Right. That's why the, that's why the builders go broke. Is yeah. because what happens is all of a sudden they, they, they start, they're borrowing money constantly from the bank to build right. more houses. And as they're borrowing the money, they take a little bit out for themselves. They have to, you know what I'm saying? I mean, that's just the nature right. of the business. You know, you, that 40,000, you can't wait every 90 days for it. You know what I'm saying? You got to be able to eat today. Right. And so the, the, the problem is, is that you may, you, so, so let's say that you need the 175. You may borrow 185, so you got 10,000 to keep eating while you're going, or or you borrowed 175, but you used 10,000 to live on. Right. And so it so what happens is at some point you're playing musical chairs. At some point, um, it depends on how 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 fast and how much you're building. But at some point, if you start building more and more and more, 
and all of a sudden the market the market corrects or right. slows down, now you're stuck. You got all these bank loans and you can't go anywhere. Right. And and that's what happens. Um, you know, I've got a I've got a friend of mine that's a builder, and what he'll do, it, he he he's very man, he's very methodical. He he buys lots and he'll buy five or six lots and he pays cash for them and he holds them until he feels like the market is right for him to start building on that one. Then he'll go build these things into nice communities. And then with his extra cash flow from his other stuff, he'll build out a house. And sometimes it might take him six, nine months to get a house built out. But by the time he's done, he owns it free and clear because it comes from the cash flow of his other stuff. Huh. So then, then he turns around and he either rents it out or finances it at a high end. But these are high end houses too. These are in, these are in $350,000 neighborhoods in Texas, which anywhere else in the world, that's freaking you know, that's a half a million dollar house. Right, 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 right. Um, but, uh, and so that, that's, that's his strategy. So what I, I guess what I'm saying is, is if I were you, I'd probably do a little of both. I'd probably sell off some because you don't want to live on borrowed money. That's the, that's no. the thing that, yeah. So you're, you're, you sell off enough. And then when you get that extra money, then own some of them lots yourself, you know, own some of the build outs yourself. And then turn around well, and put those on cash yeah, on wholesale it. too. So I, I've got okay. the okay. construction side of the business is kind of doing its own thing, and I wholesale as well. So that's that's, that's beautiful. I'm, I'm not dependent on the income from the new construction side of it. It's kind of like a bonus, I guess you could say. Then, yeah, then I would put the construction side of the business in a C corp. Yes, and I put the yeah put it in a C corp, and then have all that cash in there. And then so what I would do if I were you, put that in a C corp. Let it build up cash, and then uh, my whole lifestyle would be paid out of that C corp. Okay. You know, my my cell phone bill, my my house payment, everything would be paid out of that C corp. I would right. lease my house in that C corp. I mean, there. Were, and so basically, your wholesale business, you could take the profits from it and then reinvest into passive investments, so that you're building your 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 LLC side of your life where it's passive income, so you're taxed the lowest possible on both sides. Right, right, right. Gotcha, gotcha. Yeah. Um, so, okay. So, are we? Did we? Did did we clear that one up, uh, Joe? Yeah. So your make your profit comes from the ten k that you're keeping up front, mm-hmm. and the three hundred dollars a month cash flow. Yep. And 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 when they refinance. Well, when they refinance. It's another ten thousand. But now here's a here's a here's a here's a trick. Here's a thing. Some of these deals I don't want to refinance. Like if I'm getting thirty six percent of my money, and I'm going to get ten thousand dollars back, and I'm an active investor. This is a thing a lot of investors make a mistake on. I'm an active investor, and I get ten thousand dollars back. They refinance and pay me off my ten thousand dollars. I don't want that ten thousand dollars because where am I going to put it to get thirty six percent yields again? Sure. Do you understand? I'm already I'm already an active investor. I'm not going to put it in the stock market. I'm you know I'm going to put it I'm going to put it in a rental house and get fifteen twenty percent. It's making thirty six percent right now. So you got to be wary of that to where you don't you know you want your money working harder than you do. And so uh, you got to pay attention. Like I've got I've got in fact I've got a situation like that right now. And you'll laugh. I've got a house with a forty five hundred dollar spread. That's all. It's got a forty five hundred dollar spread. It cash flows currently $193 a month, and their payment is fixing to go up to $250 a month. But I know that these people 
are at nosebleed. In other words, they're paying, man, they pay on the 20th of the month every month. They pay me, but they pay on the 20th. And I don't want to put them over. That extra $50, $60 could put them over the top. You know what I'm saying? So I will probably, uh, I'm, uh, so I'm making $200 a, uh, a month, basically, on $4,500. Where am I going to get that kind of return? Mobile homes, yes, but I'd have to go do the work. I, get, I might be able to get 60 or 70 or 100% on a mobile home deal mm-hmm. for $4,500, but I'd have to go do the work. I'm already working. I'm already doing other deals. I don't want to go do that work. So instead, I'll use my brain, and I'll run the numbers, and I'll extend her loan out. And I'll say, you know, it looks like your payment's going to go out, uh, go up. But let's just extend your loan. Let's do a modification, extend your loan a little further. And so that way it's only going to go up by 10 bucks or something. You know what I'm saying? Okay. I, don't, I want her to keep paying me for a long time because I only have $4,500 equity in it. So, it, so you got to pay attention to that stuff too. Some deals are going to be the opposite. Several years ago, I had a deal. And the deal had 20000 equity in it. And I didn't catch a clause when I bought and sold it. And it had a, it was, it was uh, tagged with a, a rising interest rate to the, uh, on the, on the LIBOR and something else. Anyway, long story short, I was losing $400 a month on it. And I had just missed it. I didn't read the loan paperwork and I just missed it when I wrapped it. And all of a sudden I'm losing $400 a month on this deal. And um, I'm like, holy cow. Well, that, that means that at $400 a month, you know, every year I'm losing $5,000 of my equity. It's worthless. So I, I turned around, I looked at Courtney, the, the girl that worked for me, I said, Courtney, I said, we got we to gotta get that one done. We got to get that one refined. We got to get notes sold or whatever. Well, back then, this was in 2007, we called a bunch of corporate note brokers. And they were, it was just kind of switching over and they were starting to do weird stuff. And some of these guys wanted 30% yield as corporate note brokers. And I, you got to remember, I come from the days in 1997, we were selling to corporations, corporate um, note guys at 8%, 8% and 9%. And these guys were wanting 30%. And I was like, I ain't selling it for that. I'll figure out another solution. So long story short, I, um, I then turned around and I said, just get them to go refinance, get them a mortgage broker, pay them if we have to, but get them to go, um, get them to go get that, get it done. Well, I got that thing refinanced in about 65 days. I picked up my, I think when everything was all said and done, it was about an 18 five check and, and I was done. But that money I had, I had a, I had a negative ROI. And so what I encourage people is once they do a deal, and this is especially rental people, you got to look at your equity. And let's say you got 30,000 equity in something, but you're getting $200 a month. You're not making any money. And so you have to pay attention to that. You, if you're only making twenty four hundred dollars on thirty thousand, you need to move your money. Yeah. And so you've constantly got to pay attention to that as an investor. And 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 I'll tell you another mistake to avoid too. Things I've done in the past because I had my business running so heavy, I was making you know I you know I I people refinance and I'd get this thirty thousand dollar check or I'd get this twenty thousand dollar check or whatever from the refinances and I just throw it into my my corporate checking. And uh, so my lifestyle went up because of that, because I had more money, more cash. And the mistake I made is I should have went ahead and reinvested that money into bigger assets. Because had I reinvested in bigger assets, my cash flow would have continually increased. Meanwhile, I had friends that did that, and they went on to become DECA millionaires and, and cruised right through the downturn. 
I mean, it affected them, but it didn't affect them like it affected me. Yeah. And, and I look back and I go, man, I should have traded up. So you can't get caught up in just the cash part. You've got to get that money in the, in the passive assets because you've you got to think in terms of instead of, you know, I have $30,000. So my income's increased for the year. You got to think in terms of, well, how much can I increase my income for 20 years, for 10 years, yeah. for, for 30 years? And that you got to always be thinking of that. So, you know, there, um, as you've been talking, there's a guy I know named Bob Zachmeyer. And he has something really similar, a similar strategy where he creates these notes. And um, he's okay. basically creating second notes. And he is licensed. He's a realtor. So when he approaches, okay. and I'm, I think I'm going to screw this up, but I'll describe it the best I can. Uh, he approaches a seller and says, I can either list your house. I mean, he says he gives them three options. And by the way, this is hilarious. When he's talking to sellers, he doesn't go look at the house. He makes an appointment for them to come to his office. And so when he's talking to them, he just says, um, so it. when would you Love like it. to come by my office and like we can talk about this? And uh, you know what's funny? He said you would think the sellers would say, uh, well, why don't you you, know, well, you come here? That's the way. No. They'll all say, well, okay, um, you know, how about uh, tomorrow at 10 a.m.? Okay, great. So there's nothing wrong. Um, I don't know. Do you have an, uh, an office, David? Um, I don't right now. Currently, my office is Waterburger. <laughs> um, but I do. I did. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Waterburger is my. That's you know they they know me there at all the Waterburgers. I remember the Waterburger videos. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I got. I need to get those back up. But I um, you know, Waterburger is my office. That's uh. But the I had a. I actually even during those some of those Waterburger videos, I actually had an office back then. But um, we had we had done something. We had done something to that. Uh, Courtney had. We got to the point to where she was doing all the deals for me, and and it wasn't we weren't it wasn't lightning speed or anything. She was just doing I was probably about eighteen deals a year, and um, but we wouldn't even go look at the house until we had a signed contract. So she would send them a contract. She'd say, "Okay, so you owe this much, and this is what we agree to, and whatever." Now we'll go to the house to verify everything we say is is right. Yeah, right and clear. Right, right, right. And if not, then we renegotiate more. But so what? That's what this guy does. He he, he has a Realtor's license, but he hardly ever, if ever, lists properties. But what he tells these sellers is, I'll give you three. There's three ways I can help you. Number one, I'll buy your house. I'll just give you a cash offer, but it's going to be low. Number two, I can list it, but you're going to have to, you know, he talks about the, the, the drawbacks of listing it. You know, you're going to have to pay me a commission. Yeah. Um, it's going to sit on the market. You're you're at the whim of an appraiser. You have to somebody else is going to tell you what price you can sell your house for, et cetera, et cetera. Or um, we can set up structure. He can he'll he'll structure seller financing um, and get the seller uh, like almost ninety ninety five percent of the value of the house. If it just, okay. and then, so then he structures it. Where he shows them either you're going to sell or find it. If they like option three, which they normally do because that's how they get the most of their money, he tells them either you're going to sell or finance it or I'm going to get somebody else to sell or finance it. doesn't matter to me. And um, most sellers will say, no, I need to pay off my loan so that um, I can buy another house. Or I know how. Right. So yep. what he does, and this is pretty interesting, um, and this works best for homes, he says um, – under the median price range. So um, 
in St. Louis in the Midwest, it would need to be somewhere between maybe fifty to one hundred and fifty thousand dollars. All right. And so what he does is he puts the buy. He, he immediately once he gets under contract, he immediately advertises it for a buyer, and he will create two notes: a first position note, which was going to be a retiree, somebody with IRA money. He'll create a first yep. position note, and he doesn't do any sub twos. He he just he, he'll pay off the mortgages with no matter what. Yeah, right. He'll always pay off the mortgages, but he puts in he brings a buyer and a seller together. The the and he brings and it, he brings three people together: the seller, the buyer, and a private investor. All right, private yep. investors in first position at no more than seventy percent of loan to value. Yep. He brings in a buyer that has 10 to 15% to put down, which is not hard to find. Yep. And then he creates a second note. That's yep. how he profits from these deals. He doesn't maybe if he has to put any money in it's a couple thousand dollars to make Ooh. to get the seller paid off, but he then creates these $20,000, $30,000 notes. Yep. That give him 200 a month in cash flow that he has z- z- zero money in. He should still be creating rats. He's not so. probably. Oh, absolutely. No, he's one hundred percent. Okay. Why? The reason why? Explain why. The reason, the reason why is because he's losing a lot of money. And I'll explain. So let's say that let's say that he creates a first position note at eight percent for his investor. Okay. Uh huh. And it, at seventy thousand dollars, using the hundred thousand dollar house example. Let's yeah, say that right. he has a buyer with fifteen thousand. Okay. Yep. And they have $15,000, and so now he's got $85,000, he's got $15,000 to play with. And normally he would create a $15,000 note as a spread. Correct. That's, that's well, he would sell the house. He would sell the house for $110,000. Okay. So he sells it for 110, he gets the same, let's call it 15,000 down. Right. He sells it for 110, he gets the 15,000. And uh, now he's got a $95,000 spread, 95,000 around the the 70. He creates a $25,000 second. Correct. That $25,000 second he creates, let's say he creates it at, at even 10% or 12%, okay? Yeah. Well, now what happens is his lender is uh, receiving their money. They're getting paid down. But Bob's equity is depreciating. It's depreciating every month. So when he gets paid on that twenty five thousand, next month he's owed twenty four thousand seven hundred. The month after that, twenty four thousand three hundred. If he did a wrap, and let's say he did a wrap at even eight point five percent, then every month he would get richer. Interesting. So he he would create a ninety five thousand dollar note wrapped around the seventy. He doesn't have to collect the payments. He can still say send seven hundred dollars to my note investor, send me the other two fifty. He can still do that, but every month. He's getting richer because now the note investor's seventy thousand is going down, and next month it's sixty nine thousand six hundred. But the ninety five thousand went down to ninety five thousand or ninety four thousand seven hundred, and so his equity actually grew by a hundred dollars the first month. Yeah, I see so what you're saying. He, he so every month it would grow, and so he would get richer until that underlying loan is paid off. So therefore. He should be doing wraps because now he gets richer every month instead of poorer. He has cash flow. He's getting, he's getting richer. And that's what I do. We do Our strategies are the same. It's just a different way to skin the cat. I sell off the partial. He's just wrapping it, which he's creating his own partial by creating two notes. 
Okay, right. I just I now, create one note, and I have a contract. I have a contract that, that that basically is like having a first note. It still puts my investor in the first position. Okay, good, good, good. So we're running we're running low on time here, David. I want to ask you one final or kind okay. of a, a, a final question here. I mean, it probably will open up more questions, but I wanted to ask yeah. you like. Uh, give an example of, of a conversation that you have with a seller when okay. you want to create a wrap around their existing mortgage. Okay. I don't have that conversation. Okay. Um, I never have that conversation. Um, that's To me, that's a thing that, that happens. The bottom line is, is when you're dealing with motivated sellers, and I'll give you an example of a conversation in a second, but when you're dealing with motivated sellers, um, they don't really care how you solve the problem once you agree on whatever the price and terms and how it's getting done. So in the case where it's the $80,000 sub two deal, then you're basically, and I do something different than most, but in the old days I would turn around and say, Hey, I'm going to leave your loan in place. And then that, and, and I have a spiel, I have a set spiel nowadays that I, that I tell them, but in the, in the old days I would have, um, I would, you know, where they'd say, well, how do we know you're going to make the payments? And I would say, well, I, you know, I'm absolutely going to make the payments and, and I'd build the trust and the rapport and all that kind of stuff and guarantee payments essentially. But because of my reckoning in 2001, I realized that was bad business because I didn't ever want to build a business again that made it where jeopardized me eating <laughs> um, and my family eating. So nowadays, I don't structure it that way. Nowadays, when I'm talking to a seller, I do what's called a negative sale. And it's something to the effect of, well, so what's going to happen is I'm going to market to find you a buyer. And once I find that buyer, we're going to close. Now, you could use a realtor, but here's what most realtors do. Most realtors stick a sign in the yard, and when they have 10 people's houses listed and one sells every month, they get to eat. I'm not like that. I'm actually going to spend real money, market the house. I'm typically going to find a buyer in 10 to 14 days because I'm damn good at what I do. And once I find that buyer, then we're going to go to close and we'll close this thing and you'll be done with it and you'll never have to. And then they go, well, what if they don't make the payments? Well, the truth is, if they don't make the payments in most every instance, you're probably never going to know because I'm probably going to make the payments. Now, I can't guarantee it because I used to use, well, because you don't know if Obama will try to put himself back in office and the, the whole country goes to shit. But, um, but I, but I, but I, but, so I say, I can't guarantee it, but I can tell you that in most cases, and I can't guarantee that you won't get a phone call from me saying, hey, you need to make that payment to protect your credit for this month until I can get another buyer. I said, but in most cases, you're never going to know about it. And so that's how I've changed my pitch up um, because I don't want to guarantee payments anymore in that situation. Now, you know, lately I've been buying a lot of deals cash, exactly like what he talked about, you know, where you know, we had one the other day where we picked up and we're picking it up for 33000 and we'll market it. We'll sell it for 65000 and we'll turn around and sell off the underlying financing. So the seller's gone, but I still am not going to, uh, I'm going to sell it before I buy it. I'm still always going to do that. So, yeah. Okay. And that's just one, one of those rules. Never buy like before that. you sell. Mm-hmm. Very good. That might be a good name for this podcast. Uh, always sell a house before you buy it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> well, let me know when you'll do it. We never did finish that marketing stuff, so at some point we need to go back to that. 
but um, yeah, let me know um, when you want to get back together. This was this was great. Okay, well, let's do a part two to talk about marketing. Okay, and uh, that'll be good. And uh, you've got some more stuff to share about that. Uh, absolutely, absolutely. All right, good, good. Well, let's go ahead and end this podcast now. Um, thank you for your time, David and Alex. Guys, go to realestateinvestingmastery.com to get the show notes. Oh, and David, how can people get a hold of you and get more information about you and what you do? Well, I, I tell them to go to davidalexander.com right now, but the truth is there's absolutely nothing there at the moment. So um, uh, probably the, the best way direct is just my, my own email, and I'll, I'll go ahead and give okay. it out. I uh, don't normally do it, but I'll do it this time. Um, e is in egg, Z as in zebra, L-I-S-E at davidalexander.com. Easy life at davidalexander.com. Um, and then uh, you can always call Bandit Signs and they can track me down. So, Again, your, your company for Bandit Signs that you, um, you, you took back and you own again now. Yes, um, yes. Right, it's banditsigns.com. Banditsigns.com, yep. And so they can always call there, and, and uh, you know they'll, they'll talk to talk to Jackie there, and, and uh, she'll hook them up, and, and whatever you know, whatever we need to do. So whatever I can do to help. And you're right. Um, like I've got I've got people right now for buying houses. I've got a lot of people using handwritten signs to buy houses, and I'm actually fixing to do a test of that. So okay. um, I've got one guy spending a thousand dollars or buying a thousand dollar sign, a thousand signs a month from me doing that. So. I have a friend and a client who's using a sign right now. Um, we'll, we buy houses regardless of equity, and he's nice. getting tons of calls with that. Nice. Good little tip. Cool, David. Thank you again, guys. His email address is easylife at davidalexander.com, and easy is E, the two letters E and Z, easylife at, Ale- at davidalexander.com, or you go to banditsigns.com. And... Um, very cool. So we'll do another. Uh, we'll schedule another podcast here, David. Talk more about marketing. That'll be cool. I love talking about marketing. And uh, guys, if you want the show notes, go to realestateinvestingmastery.com. Realestateinvestingmastery.com. You can go there and get our fast cash survival kit that David. I mean that Alex and I <laughs> created and uh, still doing today. All that good stuff. So, all right, guys. We'll see you later. Thanks a lot.